I, seriously, I got this cold. I, I hadn't been sick for like a year and a half, and then I got two colds in the last two and a half months. I don't know. My wife works at the hospital. She tells me it's a swine flu. So you all get it. There you go. Swine uh, if you ordered an, an element hat, uh, they are in. You just see Mikey when we're done, so you can pick them up. Uh, most of them actually have color. You can pick whatever lower you, logo you wanted, but there you go. Uh, I think we have like four extra or something, but we even got an extra trucker hat because Corey wanted to. You got it? So you're right there, trucker hat. If you're, if you're into trucker hats. Uh, on March 6th, we are doing a car care day. Uh, car care, if you're like a single mom, or maybe you're elderly, or maybe the, the financial times have hit you pretty hard, uh, we are going to do a thing for you. We're going to change your oil, uh, change your air filters, check up maintenance on your car if you can't afford to have that done or don't know how to do it yourself. March 6th, bring your car down, you sign up in the back. Now also, if, if there's people in your neighborhood that you know who are in, like that, maybe single moms or elderly or people who've been hit really hard by the financial crisis, uh, talk to them and have them sign up. We, this, is, this is for everybody. We want to help everybody that we can with this. And we realize that times are tough and hard, so we want to help out as best that we can. So if you know somebody like that in your neighborhood who could just use a little bit of help, uh, uh, let them know about it, they can sign up. And then, uh, oh, in, does anybody have... I shouldn't say. Does anybody have a vacuum cleaner that you don't want? Uh, the youth group needs a vacuum cleaner, not one that does like carpet, maybe one for like hard floors, like a canister back. Not like one that you've had in your closet for years and it smells like your wet dog, but you know, maybe one that's actually kind of works that you don't use and you'd like to donate it. The youth group needs one to keep upstairs in their youth room because they trash it every week and they need to vacuum it up. So if you have one, let James know about that. Uh, and lastly, if you took baby bottles for the CareNet fundraiser a couple weeks ago, uh, they're due next week. So if you took one, make sure you fill it up with change and bring it back next week so we can give those to CareNet. <sighs> I have a hard time breathing. This cold is just terrible. I'm like, <sighs> I feel like Darth Vader, but a white wheezy version. So <laughs> won't you stay on me reading the God's Word? This is Romans 1, verse 22, and it says, Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we'd be a people who do not live as fools, but that we live in wisdom, that we take the knowledge that you have given us, and then we walk as wise people. We put that into place in our lives so that we walk as your children and people know who you are. God, we do not want to be foolish kids, but good kids. Amen. Have a seat. Uh, we are on Ephesians chapter 2. Woo, we we're just moving right along. If you know how I usually go through books of the Bible, it's like we're blazing the trail. It's only been four weeks. Wow. So it's Ephesians uh, chapter 2. But if you have a Bible, open to Romans chapter 1 because that's where we're going to start. Uh, now, as we get to Ephesians chapter 2, uh, you have to understand something this morning. My job is never to package Jesus or salvation so you buy it. My job is to present to you the truth as shown in Scripture. That's my job. Now today we're going to look at the basic premise of the Christian faith. Uh, how people go from death to life, from separation to connection. Ephesians chapter 2 is very clear. It is very straightforward. But we have to be a people who receive it. Because uh, it can be some hard teaching. There's a myth out there that some people think that if we just get the truth out there, everyone's going to believe. Uh, and love it. The, the Bible is under no such illusions. Uh, many people don't reject the truth because they don't understand it. Many people simply reject the truth because they don't like it or we don't like it because it is a heart and a moral issue. So in Romans chapter 1 verse 18, it says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who, what's the word? Suppress 
suppress. That's the word dismiss or ignore. Suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal uh, power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Now, Paul says that mankind, we have no excuse for simply rejecting God. Paul actually goes on from here and he talks about three ways that God has revealed himself to humanity. The first way he talks about is creation. By simply looking at the creation itself, it should make sense that there is a designer behind it. The second way is from conscience, that everyone has a vestige of some sort of a moral compass. Some have been more hidden than others, but everyone does. Right and wrong. There's never been a culture on our planet that has encouraged friends to betray each other. There's never been a culture that teaches a father to abuse their children, depending on your term for abuse and how you define that. The third thing is the scriptures, that God has given his written word for us. Paul says God has revealed the truth to men and there are reasons that it doesn't penetrate our soul. But those reasons are not him. The reason is that we don't like it. It is our problem. We run from what is true. We run from what is true because we wish it was not true. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 where man wishes that he was God and we get to call the shots. We get to say what is good and we want to be able to say what is bad. We want to be able to say what is true and we want to be able to say what is false. But mankind doesn't get that call. Now, Ephesians 2 may be very offensive to some of you. I actually hope it is <laughs> in, in a little bit. Uh, but Paul's choice of words, his language, you may begin to resist what he says and come up with reasons why it doesn't apply to you. So the first thing you must do is listen to what God says. Sometimes God uses some very hard words in Scripture. I believe that God uses hard words because hard words produce soft people. I think if you only get soft words, your hearts will become very hard. So sometimes you get these hard words that make you soft. And so it's not whether we like it or not, it is whether it is true. There are lots of things in this world that I don't like. It doesn't make them untrue. So turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And as you do, I'm going to give you the Bible story, how it starts. Uh, It starts like this. There is one God, and that God is not you. This God is loving and gracious and powerful and good, and he makes the universe and everything in it. He then makes men and women in his likeness. He gives us a world to enjoy and intends for us to live in freedom and unison with him and other people. This life is supposed to be marked with joy and love. The Garden of Eden is a picture of what this life is supposed to look like. If you think of it, this is the great goal, uh, naked and eating fruit. It's the ideal. Now, we look at our world today, and you read Genesis 1 and 2, and it doesn't add up. It's not the same. You know, it doesn't look like that. We're ashamed to be naked in front of our spouses, and a lot of people don't like fruit. I don't know what's wrong with them, because I think fruit's great. Now, we, this, but we don't live forever. We die. Uh, there, there's nobody in perfect health. Example one, me right here. You know, everybody gets sick. Everyone lies. That's why you have contracts and lawyers and courts, and they mitigate what is true and what is false, because people aren't good for their word. People don't love each other. They use each other. We aren't even safe in our own homes, so we put doors in our homes. We put locks on the doors in our home, and then we put deadbolts on the locks on the doors in our home. And we put security systems on the deadbolts and the locks and the doors in our home. It sounds like a Dr. Zeus thing right now, right? And then, and then we get dogs on top of the security systems, on top of the deadbolts and the locks and the doors in our home. And in case somebody gets past all that stuff, we buy a gun in case they're bigger than us so we can just shoot them and put them down. We put locks on our cars and we lock our doors when we're going 65 miles an hour down the freeway because somebody might just get in. <laughs> we, we have insurance companies because we know something bad is going to happen. We have police and jails because some people can't be trusted to walk around free. 
And now today, apparently last week, we begin to let them out. Too. Uh, there's, there's other nations that we think are evil and we don't trust them. And so we have nuclear weapons to protect ourselves. We have border patrol agents to protect our borders from people who may come in and steal or hurt us. We all know something is wrong. So we try and get more and more funding for education and police officers and social services and counseling and military. And the more we spend, the more it never seems to make any difference. I mean, any idea of evolution at this point should be gone by now because we're not evolving into something greater. hundred years ago, there's less crime. I think we are people who, I believe in devolution. I don't think we came from monkeys, but I think we're going there really quick. <laughs> You know, the, the world, it, it just doesn't look good. We spent lots of money and we aren't making any progress. Why? Scripture tells you that we are the problem. And that is the truth that people want to suppress. We are not the answer. We are the problem. It's not just the bad guys out there. We are all the bad guys. I talk to people from other religions all the time. And I usually get down to this question if I can just get them there. And I say, okay, so what's the answer then? Because every religion's answer is man. We just get it better. We do it right. I was talking to a Hindu guy uh, about a month ago. And it came down to this. And, and I said, so what's the answer? He goes, well, we just got to reincarnate. And, get, and I said, so how many lifetimes have you had? And it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. The answer is not mankind. The, an the answer is Jesus. We are the problem. You don't, put, you don't use gasoline to put out a fire. You, do you? No. Okay, man's wisdom is not the answer. This is where Ephesians chapter 2 starts. So Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 starts like this. As for you. Who's that? Who's he talking to? You! And me? Verse 3 says all of us. And when we think of vile, nasty people, we like to think of other people. We play the suppression of the truth game. Got the good guys and the bad guys, and we're good because we're religious. Now we need to get the cops to go out there and get their guns and take care of those bad guys. But the people out there, they think that we're the bad guys. Religion has caused wars and crusades and, and bloodshed. They think we should be gotten rid of. The, in the New Testament, the most wicked people are the religious professionals. That tells me that I'm worse than you because I should know better and I still sin against God. When Paul says you, that is everybody. So look back there again, Ephesians 2. As for you, you were, what's the word? Dead. I'm not dead. I got pants on. I drove to church this morning. I'm not dead. You were spiritually dead before Jesus. Physically alive, but you have a faculty that is not functioning. You are dead without Jesus. Now, this goes for Ephesus and the United States of America today. That it is, in our culture, it's all about just being spiritual. You just got to be spiritual. But you can be spiritual and be completely dead. We are all dead apart from loving Jesus. And this is the hard part that many people in our world want to suppress because we think we're spiritual and alive, but we are dead. God speaks, we don't hear. God acts, we don't see. God cares, and we don't. We are dead. We are dead until we give our lives to Christ. We are dead. He says, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. Now you're like, this sounds like one of those sermons. Yes, it is. It is one of those sermons. There are essentially two types of sins. Okay, there are sins of omission. This is where God created us to do certain things and we don't do them. Okay? This is sin of omission. We were supposed to love Him. We're supposed to serve Him and glorify Him. But we love ourselves and we glorify ourselves and we honor ourselves. And we give all that God has provided to our own wants. Sins of omission. Oh, yeah, something happened there, huh? I'll wait. Because you'll get it. I really shouldn't look at it. The last service actually to blow my nose, so. There we go. Okay. 
uh, not doing the things we're supposed to. And then there's sins of commission. This is when God says don't, and we break specific law anyway. I mean, even if you don't read or know the Bible, you know certain things are wrong. You know, we shouldn't lie, but we do. We shouldn't steal, and people do. You shouldn't put graffiti on people's walls, and you do. You should never make a vampire movie where they sparkle. Okay, that's... Seriously, we are all rebels, and we fight against God, and we are failures who can't do it right even if we wanted to. Paul calls this transgressions and sins. Rebels are defiant. Failures usually become depressed. Paul says in Romans 6.11 that we should be dead to sin and alive to Christ, but we live dead to Christ and alive to sin. And sin is not just what you do. You get told that a lot. You need your sins forgiven because you've been bad. And that's, that's true. But sometimes we just think, well, well what, what are sins? And we just throw all these things out there. Oh, they're the things that you do. You watch this. You slept with that. You drink light beer. Yeah, it's sin. You know, people think, I'll just be good. I won't do those things. Then I don't need forgiveness because I won't have any sins. Sin is not just what we do. It is who we are. We are inherently broken. In verse 3, Paul calls us objects of wrath. We are broken. We are flawed. We are not in harmony with God because we are a broken instrument. But humanity originally was not made that way. But because of sin, we are now broken and we make bad music. Because we are dead, we commit transgressions and sins. And the hope is not to stop committing transgressions and sins. The hope is to stop being dead. That's the hope. A guitar with a broken neck is unfunctional and cannot find pitch until it is repaired. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who, has now, who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, that's the word for flesh, and following his desires and thoughts. Paul says we are broken, but we're also in a war. There's this kingdom of the power of the air. In chapter 6, he talks more about this. But here, he briefly alludes to the fact that this, there are participants in a war. And when you look at the world today, this makes total sense. This has become a battlefield, this place where we live. Counselors' offices are full of the wounded. Hospitals are full of the wounded. Cemeteries are full of people who have died. It's a war, and there are three fronts on which this war is waged. The first one is Satan. I'll get it right out there out front. Some people say, oh, that's like folklore, that's Satan. Look at the world. Tyranny, starvation, death, abuse, pride, injustice. If this is the effect, what is the cause? If the cause is only humanity, if it's only humanity, shouldn't we be making some progress against this? If we keep trying to fix it, though we are major contributors to it, it looks like then should, there's an outside force that's pushing this thing downhill. And scripture says it's not a force, it's a being. It's a rebellious fallen angel created by God, but not equal to God. He rebelled, he takes a third of the angels with him, and these we now call demons. Do not think that everything on this earth can be explained solely by biological means. It cannot. We have a spiritual enemy that encourages us to participate in this war against God. We have a literal enemy. The second thing that this war is fought against is ourselves. Because we are not just victims. He says, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. That's the word again for flesh. We have an internal broken propensity for sin. It is our condition. It's not just your, your physical body, but a predisposition towards rebellion. Uh, the, the first word that two-year-olds love to say is, Right, and mine, no and mine. That, that's what you get. They sound like those seagulls from that cartoon. No, no, mine, mine, mine. That's, that's what they sound like. <laughs> I'll give you an example. Uh, someone cuts you off in traffic, right? Do you want good things for them? Do you pray for their health and their prosperity? Or do you go, oh, I hope they get pulled over and wreck their car, hopefully in a different order than that, and I get to see it? I mean, that's what you're thinking in the back of your mind. 
We think that we're good people. You know, but, but when we wrong somebody, we're like, oh, I'm, I'm a victim. You made me do it. It's not my fault. We do this all the time. The problem is that our flesh craves the wrong things. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Sometimes we love something that's wrong so much that we kill ourselves with it. God makes something good and we destroy ourselves with it. I'll give you some examples. Alcohol, created good or bad? Good. God created good. God gave wine and the glad in the hearts of men. It was a good thing. And what do we do with it? People start to drink so much that they lose relationships and they lose their health, they lose their job. Some people lose their life because of it. Then some people look at it and go, oh, people have abused it. Let's not ever touch it at all. And, and you run these two extremes when God makes it good. We're supposed to be a people who redeem what God wants his world to see. Sexuality, nakedness, created good or bad? Good. Created good. My wife said, don't talk about that too much this morning. And I go, I keep trying to convince her how good it is. You know? But, but we, we change and we turn it into pornography and lust. And we take this good thing and we make it something that's not supposed to be. Enjoyment of life. God says this is a good thing. He gives you the Sabbath so you can learn how to enjoy your life. And we turn it into laziness. I'm going to sit around and not do anything and eat foods that, and then eat those all day long. That's all I'm going to do. Sin is a cancer that is unwilling to relent until it consumes its host. And the problem is not that it is out there trying to get in, but the book of James says it is in us. The problem is not that your great enemy walks around out there. It's that your greatest enemy walks around in your own skin, in your flesh. We love what we should not love, even when it kills us. And the third place that's worst spot is against the world. This is when our flesh and the enemy works together, becomes a collective mass. We call this the world. These are the values and the systems that govern the world around us, where pride and greed and lust all become virtues. The systems of our world validate sin. Uh, as a, I'll just give you a short example because it happened to me recently. So, um, You call up a company that you have a problem with. You're very nice to them on the phone. You don't get anywhere, right? You've got to be a total jerk, and then they bend over backwards for you. I called this company, this internet provider company, and and I was and they did and I'm it, it wasn't like Comcast it was like DSL Extreme I mean, you guys have them they're maddening so I call them up and I and I got this problem and, and I'm talking to them and I'm like hey you know and I'm being really nice nothing no sorry sir we can't help you and I just flip the switch boom I go ballistic and they go oh, okay sir hold on let me see if we can help you seriously what I have a friend who refused to lie at his job and he got passed over for promotion after promotion because he refused to lie the systems of our world are at war with God. You get told, become a Christian, add Jesus. He's like Miracle Grill. He makes everything so much better and wonderful. But honestly, you give your life to Jesus and all hell sometimes breaks loose in your life. Because it's easier to be a dead fish and float downstream with the current than swim upstream all day long. Love one person in covenant marriage forever. Give of yourself to other people. Stop thinking so much about yourself. Let the truth come out of your mouth even though it costs you everything. That can be very hard, be very discouraging sometimes. The enemy is out there, the enemy is in here, and they form this entire substructure that we exist in as the children of God. But we are not just victims, we are all rebels. We have made this world the way that it is. And the enemy baits the hook, but we put it in our mouths and we bite that hook. Satan tempts, the world provides opportunity, and we partake. Let me ask you some questions about this. First, do you think God is just in being angry at Satan? Is God just to mean angry at Satan? Yes. Okay. He's a bad guy. We got that. Okay. Is God just to mean angry at the world systems that values cheating and lies and death? Is he just to mean angry at that? 
Yes, very much so. It's understandable. Yet when you come to the end of verse 3, we want to suppress this. End of verse 3 says, Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. See, God can be unhappy with Satan and the world, but, but not us. Oh no, not us. We want to think the world and Satan are bad, but we, we're just the victims in all this. Satan does not force you to do anything. He just gives you what you want. Most times it's actually the opposite. God forces grace and transformation on you. Satan just gives you what you want. Sin and death. Sense of commission, omission. We're failures, we're rebels. I am, you are. That's how it works. We are by nature objects of wrath. And if God shrugged his shoulders and he said, oh well, and walked away, we would scream, where's the justice in that? Because we are a people that love justice. Someone steals from you, you want justice immediately. That's why we have a horns on our car. We call this the instant justice button. You cut me off. You're in sin. Uh-huh. It's the instant justice button. Next time that happens, you'll be like, oh, you're in sin. You're going to think that, right? You know, we love justice for all the evil that we see being done to us. But when we screw up, you know, we want, and someone else wants justice against us, we cry for forgiveness and mercy. Oh, it's not my fault, it's their fault. Somebody made me do it, you know. They're wicked, I, I, I'm not. Just like Genesis chapter 3. The man says, oh, it's her fault, it's God's fault, the devil made me do it. We are, by nature, objects of wrath. And God's anger and His wrath are not a junior high overreaction by an overly emotional God. It is a reaction to transgressions and sins. Proverbs 1 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Unless you have a healthy respect for God, you will never understand anything. When, when the scripture teaches that God is to be glorified, the word means weighty. Weighty, that God is supposed to weigh most heavy upon us as a people. But because we live in transgressions and sins, God, God's weight becomes very light and our own becomes very heavy. And we become very self centered. And we begin to make God very small and we tend to have a very high view of man. This is all over the talk shows today how great man is. But the truth is we have a very big God and a very little man. We must understand the gravity of sin and that sin is death. God hates sin because of what it does. He floods the earth because of sin. Destroys Sodom and Gomorrah because of sin. And many people go, oh, well that's like the Old Testament God. He's, in, he's like a junior high girl. He freaks out all the time and blows things up. But we, we have the New Testament God. We call him Jesus. He's like Mr. Rogers. He has a little sweater. We ride on his trolley. He wears loafers. He's so nice and wonderful. In the book of 1 Corinthians, okay, they, they're taking communion, getting drunk at communion, not caring about anybody else, doing it completely in an unworthy manner, defaming the name of God, and people are dying at the church in Corinth taking communion. Imagine going up and going, I'm going to, oh, you know, what, what's going to happen to me when I take this? A- Ananias and Sapphira, they lie to the apostles, lie to the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. They die. They die right there. Same God. He hates sin. Hebrews 10.31 says, It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God is nobody to mess with. Nobody to mess with. Now, if you're sitting there going, Wow, that's really strong. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. The first word of verse 4 says what? But. But. One T. Great word. Now everything gets better. Verses 1 through 3 is how it should be. Verse 4 is grace. But because of His great, what's the word? Love. We like that word. When we read love, you know, we, you know, we don't suppress that. Wrath, we go, oh, maybe in the Greek that means sad. No, it, mean, it means wrath. But we read the word love and we're like, oh, this is wonderful. This, this is great. Love for who? 
us. But because of his great love for us, ooh, love for, we like that. We circle that in our Bibles, underline it, put little stars next to it. Now we can sleep without medication, a wild turkey. God, who is, God, who is rich in, what's the word? Mercy. Another, we circle that in our Bibles too. That's a great word. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in what? Transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His what? Kindness to us in Christ Jesus. These are great words. Love, kindness, mercy, grace. We don't suppress those because those are our friends and we like those. In Jesus, you see God's justice and His mercy come together. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. How come Jesus died if he didn't sin? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus died for our sin. Colossians 2.13-15 says, our sins were laid upon him. Our condition of sin, our death, laid upon him, and we get righteousness and life. This is why the gospel is good news. Right there. God's justice is met. He is not a liar, and when He promises death for sin, there is death. But there is also love, grace, and mercy. We will never atone for our own sins. In John 19.30, Jesus hangs on the cross, and He says, It is finished. This is the word to tell us thy. It means paid in full. Paid in full. Jesus suffered our wrath. We do not have to stand before God and justify or vindicate ourselves, because Jesus took care of that. Jesus dies, He rises from the dead, He conquers our enemies of Satan, sin, flesh, death, and the world. I mean, it, it, it's, it's amazing when Jesus rose, I and you who believe were in Christ. It's what He says in verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved. I didn't deserve this. I wasn't even born when Jesus died. Through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. It is not like Jesus does part and I do part. It's not like a bicycle made for two when we're riding up the hill and Jesus is like, pedal harder! That's not what it's like. It is Jesus does it all, period. It is His finished work. And the point is not that we need to be moral or good. What we need is Jesus. And by God's grace, that is what we have. Jesus. Verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved. It does not be a good person and go to heaven. There is no good enough. I mean, you know how good you got to be? Look at the person sitting next to you. Okay? Better than them. That's how good you got to be. Better than them. If, if you want to, it's like if you go to Disneyland, you got to ride the whole thing. You got to be this tall to ride this ride. You know how tall you got to be? Perfect. As God is perfect. And it's too late for that. For all of you, it's too late. But Jesus died for us and exchanges his life for my death. He exchanges his sinlessness for my sin. I need Jesus. It is by grace you have been saved. We didn't deserve it through faith. None of it matters unless you trust God and not suppress the truth, but embrace it. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not because you read the Bible, said a prayer. This is God's gift. I have people say to me all the time, you Christians, you're a bunch of hypocrites and you're stupid. And I'm like, yep, <laughs> we sure are. I mean, honestly, do you need to be smart to be a Christian? No. No. You don't need to be. You need to be moral to be a Christian. No. You don't. The difference with all the world religions is you must do something to make yourself acceptable to the gods or God or goddesses. But Christianity says God himself makes you acceptable. Jesus does bring morality, but morality does not bring Jesus. It says a salvation. It is the gift of God, verse 9, not by works that no one can boast. And this is also where we want to suppress the truth. 
You are not a believer because you are smart, read the Bible, figured it out. God gave you the mind, gave you the scriptures. Jesus gave you himself and trust. It's all God, period. We don't boast. Christians should never look at anybody else in the world and say, oh, look at those stupid people who don't believe because we're not saved because we're smart. We should never look at somebody else and say, oh, look at those perverted sickos because we're not saved because we're moral or good. All we can do is say, those people who need Jesus just like me. That's all we can say. Paul says we all follow our own flesh and God saved us. So what do we do then? What do we do with this? We respond. We call this worship, responding to the living God. Verse 10, for we are God's workmanship created, this is a new creation, in Christ Jesus to do good works. We do these works so God loves us? No, we do these works because God already does love us. Works don't put you in relationship with God. Grace does. But now your life becomes imbued with meaning and purpose and you belong to God. God has forgiven you and loved you and now you get to do life with Him doing good works. If you're a parent, you can put a legalistic set of rules together for your kids and they will never achieve as much as they could if you simply offered them love. Love involves discipline and grace together. But if kids think they must earn your affection and they will never attain it unless they're perfect, they will either become rebellious because they will hate you or they'll become depressed because they know they can never do it. But it will never lead to joy, freedom, and hope. God loves us. His love makes us righteous. And that leads to joy and love. And that, in turn, should lead to good works by grace. Because Jesus saves us and His grace empowers us. Not just good works, but good works, it says, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Your life is not without meaning, purpose, or hope. You don't need to go to some crazy seminar to figure out your destiny. You know what your destiny is? Your destiny is Jesus. That is your destiny to love Him, live with Him, participate in the work that He has done for us and the work that He has for us to do. When you wake up tomorrow, God has something planned. You should open your eyes to the wonder of what God's waiting to do like a treasure hunt. You tomorrow will have someone in your life to love, someone to serve, someone to forgive, someone to offer hope to, someone to pray for. You have a life to be lived in the grace of God. Your whole life belongs to God. Over 30 times in the book of Ephesians, it says you are in Christ. You are not in your job or in your car or in your house or in your room. You are in Christ. Everything you do. Jesus spends 90% of his life as a carpenter doing routine things. It's not like he became really spiritual the last three years. He was doing good works, making furniture, doing the good works of God. Good works are everything you do. The goal of life is Jesus We need to be a people who open our eyes and look at what God is doing. Because when you do, it builds faith. And God, I'll tell you, God will never lay this all out in front of you. Because if he did and showed you all the works that he had for you to do, you would start focusing on those things to get them done. And God wants you to focus on him. And you simply follow him and live your life with your eyes focused on Christ. Then you can look back sometimes to your life and go, Oh my goodness, look at what he did. That's amazing. Simply because your eyes are focused where they are supposed to be. God is always teaching always leading, always showing. Sometimes we want to fight the things that God has for us because we don't understand why we're going a certain direction. We simply trust God, though, and keep going to what He has for us. I tell you, you trust Him. You love Him because He has sought us and He has saved us. Though we were destined to wrath, we now have grace. And we have been given a calling and a destiny to work with Him. This is, this is kind of like a three-year-old working with their dad trying to fix the car. 
you know, we're the three-year-old, okay? And, and a three-year-old is not, not really much help, makes everything go a little bit slower, gets in the way a lot, but dads love to work with their kids. And, and God is a father who loves to work with us as his kids. And we may drop the stuff and, you know, put water in the, in the gas tank and, and just mess. And God's like, oh, okay, come on. And he keeps wanting to work with us as his children because he has good works for us to do as our dad that loves us. We should simply be a people who live in that grace and realize that we are not better than anybody else. We are simply saved by the grace of God. So we live in that and love others as God calls us to. Today, I invite you to communion, where you take that cracker and you break it, and you dip it in the wine of the grape juice that reminds us of his body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for you and I, so we can be in this relationship. So that we cannot be a people who are marked by transgressions and sins, but a people who are marked by mercy and grace and the goodness of who he is. We're going to worship God through song. The band's going to come up. And as they do, I invite you where you're at to, to pray. Sing along these songs with us. Pray and say, God, you know, where have I placed myself above you? You know, where, where have I not loved or reached out and thought I was better than somebody else, not realizing I'm just like everybody else? Uh, maybe you're somebody who's never fully understood and, and experienced the grace and the love and the mercy of God. Pray that he'd begin to show that to you so you can extend that to other people. Uh, we're going to worship God through giving. There's offering boxes in the side wall and in the very back. And we, and we simply give because God gave so much to us and giving is part of our worship. We're going to worship God through fellowship. We're in the back. There's coffee and stuff. You guys can hang out, get to know some other people, hopefully develop some friendships that last. Or maybe if you have those friendships you developed, your friends can ask you some of these questions. How do you live in mercy and grace? You know, do you have a problem maybe thinking you're better than somebody else because Jesus has saved you and he's beginning to change you and make you into something else and now you're irritated at these people who don't live the way that you do? When you should simply be uh, expressing to them the love and the grace of Christ. These are the hard things that that God calls us to in our lives, to be a people of grace and mercy and love because God is so good to us. We should be good to those around us, not because it makes God love us, but because God already has loved us and he calls us to these things and empowers us to it. Would you guys pray with me? Father, this morning, I do ask that we as your people would understand more and more your grace and mercy towards us that we would understand the depth of our sin and what you have pulled us out of to places in your family. That you are our great and good God who loves us, not because we are lovely, but you love us to make us lovely. God, you are the only thing that can take a dying man from his transgressions and sins and raise him to life again through your cross, through your resurrection, through your great love and mercy. Teach us to be a people who live and extend that grace and mercy to those around us. Thank you for revealing the truth to us through your scriptures. I ask that our hearts are open and we receive all that you long to say to us this morning. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.